Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and oh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Oh my goodness, we're on TV now, Chris. Yeah, this is our first experimental YouTube uh, video feed of the podcast, Henry. I had to do my hair a little bit, had to make sure that I knew that I would pale in comparison to you, so I didn't do anything. So somehow I'm going to have to stop looking at my face and making sure I look okay. Make sure I talk out of both sides of my mouth. I want to make sure, though, that the listeners know that obviously we're still doing a list, listener-only version of this, so you can find it on all our regular places where you find the podcast. And it will be an edited down, obviously, version. We try to keep it about an hour. But this is going to be the raw feed, right, Henry? This is going to be yeah. This is exactly the the plan is to post this raw feed. You're going to see us in all our is the word unexpurgated and our unexpurgated glory on YouTube. On YouTube, how many you know? Was that? I don't know, man. Man, that was like a six syllable. I used some words, yo. The idea is we'll, uh, we'll have it up there. What, what I'd like for our podcast people to do, that's our core audience, right, is to try, please try to find us on YouTube. We have we have a beeline to try to get to 1,000 subscribers there. Our listeners could really help us with that. Uh, if you like and listen to our pod on a regular basis, please consider checking us out on YouTube. For the uninitiated like me, how would you do that? Well, uh, you're going to look for us on uh, 80s Music Exposed YouTube channel. And as we get published, we ought to be searchable, right? Um, what I'm going to do is make sure that our social media uh, person publishes our channel on the notes to the podcast. So if you have the podcast and you can get to the info button on whatever you use, hopefully we will have a link there that will send you to our YouTube channel. And uh, if you go there and listen or watch our pod there from the living room, from your computer, you know, use that to go to our channel. Does that make right. sense? And, and I'm hoping that we name this uh, video May of 1982 because that's what we're covering. And so you right. can find it that way as well if you search May 1982 and 80s music exposed, I'm sure. But also to start yeah. the show, Henry, we normally go through a couple of what we call significant events from that month to get people in the mood. So are you ready to go back to May of 1982 and see what was going on? I'm ready. All right, here we go. All right, Henry, throw down the first event. When you watch TV when you're a kid, do you remember the theme music for the World's Fair, the 1982 World's Fair? Man, I, I, when I say why I put this on there, I, I'm, gonna, I'm ashamed to say I don't remember the music. Do you remember? The so, I, well, the, the fucked up thing about it is when you put this on here, I immediately went back and had a moment where I sang, it's the 1982 World's Fair. It's a big fair. And I've been singing it wrong. It was like for years, it's the wrong, I put the wrong word. My memory was faulty. Anyway, 
listeners, go to YouTube, type in the theme music for the 1982 World's Fair, which started this month in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, and so real quickly, I lived about 30 miles from Knoxville in 1982 when this happened. So it was like the biggest fucking thing. It was like the Olympics coming to my uh, part of the world. Uh, they built this thing in Knoxville called the Sun Sphere, uh, which is this giant yeah. ball sitting on a what looks like a scaffolding. It's like mm. 12 stories tall. They put a restaurant on the top, and it was like, holy shit, the future. But... <laughs> Um, for a lot of our listeners, probably younger listeners, they don't even know what the fuck a World's Fair is. And I was thinking back, thinking that was a big fucking deal for a long time. And then it just kind of, I don't, I think they still do it, but I don't really hear about it anymore. Do you? You don't hear about it anymore. Yeah. And World's um, Fairs were, were supposed to be about the future, right? Of technology and industry yeah. showcasing all the hot new shit. Uh, but that, this was, was this before like globalization was so... I guess before we were so interconnected, it had the, the World's Fair was the place where we all like got together. Right. And I almost like Henry, I got a season's pass to this motherfucker. I was there all summer. And really? it was like it had it was like it reminded me of like Epcot Center if you've ever been there too. <laughs> yeah. It had like a pavilion for each country. I, it and, had my attention. I didn't get to go. <laughs> oh man, it even had like pin collecting. Like you would try to go around and like trade pins from the different pavilions and stuff. All the kids yes. were running around doing all that kind of shit. So it was it was it was a big deal in my part of the world. All right, imagine. something that's bigger to the entire world. IBM releases the PC DOS version 1.1 1. 1 in 1982. Pretty much revolutionized where we were headed with personal computers. Yeah, I mean, basically, from what I understand, IBM was not did not want to go through the time, effort, and energy of making their own operating system for the thing, so for their computer. So they gave it away, not gave it away, but or, or assigned it to Microsoft to do, and in essence, gave the world away, it seems. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Those moments, yeah, where they just gave away the best part of what they had done. Yeah, my, my father actually worked for a company that's the other famous example of this. He worked for Kodak. Uh, which developed the technology to do digital cameras and then said, nah, that's not going to be a big deal and sold off the rights to that. And they were like, we're going to stick with film. I mean, that's right up there with not signing the Beatles. Yeah. You know know what we're going to do? We're just going (laughs) to stick with film. So yeah, the the next one is uh, the English landed on the Falkland Islands. Get off my fucking island. Henry, you're going to have so many people from Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland mad at you for saying the English. It was the, the British. Uh, it was the British. The British. Sorry, they yes. The Falkland Islands. They went to war with Argentina, which was so strange. Like, who goes to war with Argentina? So apparently this conflict went back a long, long, long time. They've been wanting the Falkland Islands forever, right? I, I mean, I started reading about it when I knew I was going to have to talk about it. And realize, holy crap, the roots of this go way back. For me as a kid, Henry, the whole this whole thing boiled down to one thing. And I bet it was that way for you. What? It was where the ink the English, the British used the Harrier jump jet. Oh, I remember that. That was the whole thing. They used this jet that would take off like straight up in the air from like a sitting position. Do you remember that? And then the wing would turn. And then it would like take off like a jet. So that was the that was my sum total of my uh, interest and in understanding. <laughs> ba- basically, Argentina invaded um, 
invaded the Falkland Islands because they thought that the British didn't really care about it anyway, but it turns out the British did freaking care about it. They really cared about it. <laughs> but Henry, enough <laughs> history. Why don't we do what we came here to do, right? Here we go. Let's do it, man. All right. So let's start reviewing some albums. And the first one we're going to talk about from May of 1982 is an album called Pornography. It's by a band called The Cure. And the song we're going to play from that album is called The Figurehead. that it's unfair to like put this up next to other records right for you and me it's it's biased anybody who listens to this pod knows right let's just go ahead and get the cure out of the way right this is going to be interesting that henry because i'm i'm about to rip this record a new one i can't believe that yeah so i i i think i think what i'm going to tear it up for is exactly what i liked about it in the 90s when I was a teen, well, not a teenager. Uh, did a you read my, you're going to read my notes, okay. I know, 20 year old. Um, I know where you're going to go. I, so I've always found the cure. I've always defended the cure when people say they're too depressing and they're too mope rock and all that kind of stuff. Because right. I always found them to be super cathartic. I was mistaken with this one. I've, I found this one completely almost impenetrably dark. Like yeah. now I, I couldn't find a way in and I realized that I've always lumped pornography in with um, disintegration and head on the door, which mm-hmm. to me are the proper amount of doom and gloom, but with a thing <laughs> uh, bottom to it. Mm-hmm. This has no uplifting bottom to it. If you want oppressively dark, heavy, impenetrable, 
depressing music, this is the album for you. And I'm not this, in this place right now. That's so interesting because, uh, you know, I got into The Cure re- way out of order. I think the, fir- the record I fell in love with was 89's Disintegration. And they already had, they already had pop hits before that. So for me, it was like Disintegration. And hey, by the way, Henry, if you want the real shit, go to pornography. Right. So I, pornography was like the to me in my mind back then it was the rawer of the two. Oh, it's still the rawer of two. I mean, in right. my mind, like the analogy I kept thinking of listening to this is this is heroin. Yeah, like this is like this. This is hard. But it was like, but it was so, but it was so perfect for me at the time. I mean, I was a very depressed, extremely depressed, like teenager you know at around 18 19 years so old probably if i it, needed a voice to that i needed somebody to speak to that in me right well, i'm assuming if you're listening to our podcast you're half you probably did too. in that mind frame <laughs> so record for you but so uh, yeah so, but so so for me it was disintegration and then pornography and then it was all the other stuff then it was the um the standing on the beach singles collection right? right that that is the record that approximated everything that i just didn't have the time or access to like faith and 17 seconds i didn't have ready access to those so that was my first look at the cure right the, the critics at the time from what i read now feel like a, probably adult critics maybe guys probably a little bit younger than us derided it a lot too well, and um, let's, let's talk about how it came about, Henry. It's the fourth yeah. album. And just mm-hmm. by the way, just for context, uh, the way I came to it, Disintegration was my entry point kind of with The Cure as well. But my yeah. second uh, entry point was 17 Second. So I always thought there was like pre-pornography cure and post-pornography cure. Mm-hmm. But I never really like went hard into pornography because I was exactly like what you said. Mm-hmm. Like everyone told me, oh, it's almost funny the way it's named pornography. It is like hard pornography. It's the hard one. Um, but so this is their fourth album. It definitely takes a different turn than the ones before it. And a large part of that is what was going on with the band. So there was heavy, heavy drug use happening. Mm-hmm. With I don't know if you read this, Henry, but it, basically they made it in like three weeks uh, in the studio. Uh, Robert Smith was at the point so exhausted, so strung out that he literally said, it was either make this album and get all the bad shit out or he was ending it. And he meant not the band. He meant like his life. Ending himself. Yeah. Yeah. And so the band was in the studio for three weeks. They were living in the offices of the record label, sleeping there during the day and recording all night and doing tons of what they called, uh, I called doing tons of LSD and drinking heavily. Mm. I believe even after this album, Simon Gallup, the bass player checked himself into rehab and quit. And he left the band for a while because he was so fucked up. But he codified that into a sound that a thousand goth bands emulated. And to this day, right? Well, that's the, yeah. That's the next thing. It's so influential because it basically, I would say it started, it is the start of goth. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I'll validate what you're saying there because, you know, it's, I, it reminded me more of my younger self it, I have a much more nuanced approach to the world emotionally than I did, you know, in my late teens, early twenties. But this record was important to reflect 
the, my strong feelings back to me then. So it's like I look back at it, not with like whether the record was bad or good, maybe for me, for me now, but it's a remembrance. Like it's a ratatouille. Like, Oh yeah. I remember feeling that way. You know. <laughs> well, there was a couple things Henry I took from it, from listening to it again that I didn't hear. I never heard when I was younger and maybe it was my bias, but I definitely heard the influence it had on bands like the Deftones and system of the down. Um, bands that I would always have said, no, those, those are like metal bands. They don't, they're not influenced by the cure, but really to me, pornography sounds very similar to, um, I believe it's called white pony, which was the biggest is still the biggest Deftones record. And those early system of the downs records. So I can see where they kind of spawned that kind of music as well, which I never really listened to. So uh, that was interesting. Uh, I, I, I did, I kept thinking of this over and over too, Henry, and I use this analogy a lot with movies. Um, I think Schindler's List is an amazing movie, but I don't want to watch it. I've seen yeah. it. Okay? Yeah. Pornography is an amazing album, but I don't want to listen to it. That's <laughs> so weird. We have a different uh, perspective of this, of this record. Yeah, it made me, it almost made me feel like what you would feel like if you actually, if possession was real. I was listening well, and going like, I could see where someone would be like, there's shit going on in this you room. You know what I, but you know what I thought? Yeah, you know what I thought about? My daughter. I thought, okay, this is like, I, this is um, some very broad stroke feelings that a, that a teenager, an adolescent would have about the world, uh, you know. But I think, I mean, so like for me, it still pierces the blandness a lot. I mean, that's what, you know, that's what it was meant to do. It's so heavy or dreary rather and like discordant, you know. It's thick, um, man. It sounds like thick, heavy shit. Yeah. It's, what do you want to get? Are you going to give it a thumbs up? Yeah. Thumbs up for me on this one. Okay. I'm going to give it a thumbs down. I, and it's funny because I wrote thumbs down, even though it's probably a masterpiece. Yeah. Just too hard for me to listen to. And, you know, I always take the angle of should our listeners go back and listen to this, get a complete picture of the 80s. I don't want to torture some happy people. Turn this fucker on and be like. (laughs) I thought, but I thought, you know, like, I think it depends on like the reasons you listen to music. Like I listen to music because I like the way it reflects my, or helps me. It's a ladder with which to hang my emotions on. And if I feel particularly drunk, you know, dark right now, listening to a dark song makes me actually feel better. If I do that, I'll go with disintegration. And <laughs> <laughs> we tell us about our next record. The next one, you know, this is the way it goes. Chris picks the cure. I get to introduce to you a little band called 38 special. And the record's called special forces. And guess the, what? guess which one I'm going to play for you. I cannot. I can only imagine caught up in you.
You don't even really have to play the whole thing. Anybody who listens to, who has been alive, could probably sing every word of this song. It, is, it was pretty ubiquitous back in time. We have never, I don't know if we have subconsciously avoided Southern Rock or if it's on purpose. I, it, it is one of those things that I think goes to Henry and I talk about this a lot on the on the show there, we did have some preconceived notions about certain types of music back then. Yeah. And we try to stay away from that now. Like we, we both were not big fans of heavy metal and I think Southern rock kind of fell in that. And, and that's doing- why when this came up, Henry, I was like, Oh shit, we should do some Southern rock because we, we've kind of shied away. We have a blind spot for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, so we're making ourselves deal with it now. 38 special p- plays to me like, Leonard Skinner Light or Leonard Skinner Jr. Okay, let me let me <laughs> let me start with this. My whole my first what? when I was that age, my first thought was this: what what makes a southern rock band? They have to have two drummers, right? I don't know why. You thought they had to have two drummers? It always baffled like me. Like the Allman Brothers. The Allman Brothers had two drummers, and I never could figure out what the fuck that was about. And then I was like, so is 38 Special Southern Rock? Because I think they only ever had one drummer. But there was a band that came around Henry VIII that was regional, that came around South a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably remember, and they had two drummers. So I always thought they were Southern authentic, and they were okay. called The Creek. Oh, yeah. You remember that? And they had T-shirts that called yeah. that I'm a Creek Freak. Yeah, and uh, sugar. It was Sugar Creek too. Sugar Creek first, right? And, and I, then they changed the name to the Creek. That's correct. Yeah. But um, so Henry, I, what I want to say first about Special Forces, the album, I I was so shocked, Henry, listening to this start to finish that it doesn't sound like Southern rock to me at all. Yeah, and I was kind of bummed out because this was our first foray into Southern. Well, rock. it's it's the, it turns out that it's highly stylized. AOR music. It was it's, it's Southern AOR. On purpose. They took a on turn. purpose. They yeah. took a turn because they had a hit on their last the record before this, which is decidedly more Southern rock, but has one or two songs on it that are like special forces. And they had a hit with that. So they went with it. Did you know, Henry, that the guy that helped write some of these songs, most of the hits, was the guitar player from Survivor? No, that makes all the sense in the world. Once I heard that, I was like, yeah. holy shit, they turned into Survivor. <laughs> I mean, look, and, and it explains, too, why their songs were like meat and potatoes stuff for, like, public events. Turns out I like 38 Special. Here's why. I think they do that generic kind of pop Southern thing better than anybody else and Betty, better than any other band of the period that I can think of. Well, that is, see, that's what's interesting to me. So we just covered a Survivor record, and I was amazed because I think this is a better Survivor record than a Survivor record. Really? Uh, 
Jim Peterick is the guy's name. He co-wrote Hold On Loosely, which I think you might remember from their last record. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think Jim Peterick should have joined 38 Special because 38 Special is a better band. I agree with you. This sounds like better AOR arena rock than Survivor, which was the standard of AOR arena rock. And one thing that the listeners ought to know, they were playing arenas. I'm talking 10,000, 20,000 people. I found a YouTube interview with the singer, Henry, from the time, and that's what he called them. He said they didn't like to be considered Southern rock anymore. They were Mm -hmm. arena rock. Yeah. So I'm saying without having the skill set of like Toto. Oh, yeah. Don't go there. uh, I feel like 38 Special made the most out of their toolkit, their toolkit that they could for this kind of stuff. Now, that it, it even was, I mean, the music even was better than the stupid cover of the record right yeah, i mean it's i'll, ridiculous. I'll okay. better than survivor but don't go toto okay They're not- <laughs> well i was just i'm okay. trying to give okay. you an example of some guys who wanted to make some hits yeah know? yeah um and but I yeah I, I so my review henry is kind of biased uh in the opposite way than i thought it would be i i just quickly went back and checked some 70s 38 special that's yeah. southern rock so I'm going to give this a thumbs down because it's not Southern Rock. and I'm, I'm going to give Southern it a thumbs rock. up because it's not. It's kind of not. That's, that's the logical. <laughs> that's the logical thing to be. But I'm, I'm, I'm like, I was ready to get some Southern because, Rock. Because, I mean, it takes skill. Like to write a song that says to the world, this, we are the music that's going to be playing the minute you walk into the bar while, the pool, while people are playing pool. That that is the what this is thirty eight special. They didn't write it though. The guy from Survivor wrote most. Yeah, of it doesn't matter. Apparently, that doesn't matter really. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're going to give it a thumbs down. Were- I'm giving it a thumbs down. Our uh, our next album is by a band called Roxy Music, and the album is called Avalon. Um, and by the way, I, I haven't been doing this. I should have. Henry, the Cures, pornography fell into the category of stuff we like. Uh, this 38 special record, believe it or not, is a four and a half star record on all music. Mm. Avalon by Roxy Music was a Rolling Stone four and a half star album back in the day. It's an all music five star now. And the song I'm going to play is called More Than This.
when I, whenever I hear this album, I uh, always want to go put on a suit and wash my hair and have some tea and drink it and be really sophisticated, you know? Could there be two albums more diametrically opposed than this and pornography on the same episode? It, it's so weird. Like, uh, it, it, I bet you if you played Avalon to me back in, you know, 1992 or something, I'd have been like, what is this? You know? Yeah, so that was my, <laughs> my entree to it, Henry. was I had an older brother who had already introduced me to Roxy Music. And um, yeah. I thought Roxy Music was his glam band that had this crazy looking guy named Brian Eno in it. They were all crazy. They all dressed up weird. And it was almost like, to me, I equated it with uh, the music from Rocky Horror Picture Show. (laughs) Overdone glam band stuff that I kind of liked. And so (laughs) when Avalon hit, um, it was big on MTV, uh, more than this and Avalon the song. And Henry, I was like, Jesus Christ, who are these old geezer guys wearing suits, walking around, looking all like, what is, what has this got to do with anything I <laughs> do? And then I blamed Roxy Music for spawning the ro- new romantic look. Like I thought ABC and all those bands came from, <laughs> that. oh, they're copping these motherfuckers and I don't like this shit at all. Yeah. Boy, now I get it. I fucking love this record. So this record is so mature. Oh my God. Uh, it it's classy. It's polished. It is cool. Uh, it it makes uh, I, I, they call it sophista pop. I guess you have to like label something. The album is just dignified, and and part of the reason why it is is it just seems effortless. The record just seems seemed effortless for them to make. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's amazing, and it and it it's like it's. Have you ever heard that expression? It was so clean I could eat off of it. Yes, yes. And, you know, one of the hardest things to learn, and, you know, you and I had a hard time with this when we were playing music, is restraint. Like, it's what you don't play, you know. It matters as much. And that's, that's that, it. Yes. That early Roxy music is this cacophonous sound of a bunch of dudes just going for it. But I love both versions. I do, too. Band. I do, too. And don't I, get me wrong. I still love old, early rock. Yeah. But, Henry, answer me this, because this is what I was thinking about listening to this. And I didn't at the time. Roxy Music, this is the perfect juxtaposition. I don't know that there's a band that does it better than juxtaposing what art rock cool in the 70s sounds like and what art rock cool in the 80s sounds like. Because yeah. this album has that reverb-drenched, sheen of fucking meticulous cleanly but it's still <laughs> art rock as fuck right I and, know. And the 70s is all like noises going everywhere and, yeah. and stuff. it's the per- it's the perfect final album for a band to have and it's, it's, it, it, because it's, it's like perfect. the end of a narrative right you know? and it's a perfect 80 it, like to me it sounds yeah. like the fucking 80s and you know what happens henry when mm. an album to me sounds like the 80s where does it go? It becomes fucking canon. <laughs> Do they have a sound effect for that? I don't. I, I've got to make one up. I, I, <laughs> you got it? For the audio side, they're going to hear All right. Effect, but All this, right. This is canon. Listeners, listeners, I'm giving Chris an assignment. We have a canon. Uh, I think it should be an actual canon. Like, pow. You know, like, I agree. I love it. But, I, but for those of you who don't know already, or this is your first episode, um, I have met, compiled a list that will go uh, throughout the 80s of albums that I think are quote-unquote canon, meaning 
If you want to know about the 80s, these are albums that you have to listen to. And hopefully, at the end, it's kind of a shorthand. If you didn't want to listen to all the records that Henry and I are covering, you could listen to these and be like, shit, I feel like I know the 80s. This is one of the ones, Henry, I got to put in, in, in the canon list. And you fucking hate my canon list, by the way. I don't. You know, I'm starting to endorse it because I think that what we should, what 80s Music Exposed should do is you should have a playlist that, that adds like every time, like you can add the song to the playlist. So that I don't, uh, my homework is I'm going to get a sound effect for it. Your homework is I'll go back and the list and you need to start putting that on a playlist. It's on the drive. I'll by the way, we have had some listeners ask for a Spotify playlist of each show, but also of the Canon list. So you got to do that. Okay. But back to Avalon. So, okay. So I haven't here. The, the question was raised now, and I, I guess I have, it's hard to raise it because of the next record. It's really about the next couple of records we're going to consider. At what point does maturity make you a good band or then make you a bad band? Like having you old age or maturity hasn't done well for some people, but in their case it did. Why? I mean, you, you want my short, cause I didn't know you were going to, my first impression Just when you asked that question is, some bands are just good and it doesn't matter what stage they're in. Like mm-hmm. Roxy music was good early. They're good late. Nick cave was good early. Nick caves. Good yeah. late. Um, but then there are bands like, I know who you're going for here. I know REM to me was great early mm-hmm. and faded. Um, yeah. What is it just a talent thing or does maturity? Yeah. Certain- I, I think something, it has something to do with the setup, like your initial setup has something to do with how it's going to age or how you can progress with it. I also, I also found Henry and I, and I think this album, if not the first, it's one of the first where Brian Ferry had basically finally just taken complete control mm-hmm. and was so confident in his songwriting that most of the songs were almost completely his. I've got the ideas. I've got the songs. This is going to be fucking dope. Let's do it. Yeah, but but, it, but now it didn't really hit for younger people. I don't know. I don't think like I didn't. I thought it was crap when I was. A kid. <laughs> I was like, what happened to that band of crazy weirdos that were so cool? This is no, you. You grew into them. It wasn't for you. It wasn't supposed no, to be for you no, yet. But was, boy, that's like that's but, a that's an album bomb. Wait for but, twenty but, years. But but think about it. Like what you just said about pornography. You know, is that you you were really comfortable with the way pornography played out when you were younger. Now it's less so. Let now now it's a you know sort of all all hammer. All, you know, <laughs> like and 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 it, it just goes to show you that your your opinion or tastes change. And Henry, I don't want to leave this album without talking about um, Peter Seville who did the album cover. Um, I don't know. He's one of our favorite album cover guys because he did a lot of the album covers for the factory records. Mm -hmm. So he did some joy division record covers. He did my all time favorite album cover. Henry, I didn't know if you knew this. Um, New orders, power, corruption and lies is my favorite all time album cover, which is a Peter Seville album cover. I absolutely hate the cover of Avalon. (laughs) It it's weird because a movie still from like Excalibur. Remember that movie Excalibur? No, it looks like Avatar or something. Yeah, it just looks like garbage to me. But I didn't know. I I had that in mind, so maybe it's not as bad um, yeah. as 
I didn't know that this Brian Ferry wrote these songs as kind of a uh, concept record around the King Arthur myth. Did you read that? I, I, I knew there was a loose sort of narrative at work uh, about that. But, so, Henry, I mean, are you going to give this one a thumbs up or a thumbs up? Yeah, yeah. And I want to mention Phil, because you know, we're not going to talk about Roxy Music again. This is it for unless you're going to do it. That's right. That's favorite. right. Yeah. Phil, uh, Phil, Phil Manzera's guitar work. I mean, there are no words. But it uh, is very um, restrained, too, like you were saying. It's all uh, in the perfect spot. It's not like... We're, okay. um, all right, uh, give us the next, the next album. The next band we're going to consider is a band from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're called The Gap Band, and the record we're uh, listening to is The Gap Band 4. want to play a cut from that called Early in the Morning. Damn, don't get no better than that, right? That is good <laughs> shit right there. So the Gap Band, you know, they initially got they were they were going to name themselves after three streets in Tulsa, Oklahoma: Greenwood, Archer, and Pine Streets, and they were going to call themselves the GAP Band. But because of a printing error, those guys took the thing out and they just became the Gap Band, and it stuck. So Gap Band Four is not their fourth album. It is their sixth record because they did two records back-to-back called The Gap Man. So that's important to know. So these guys, it's not like, they're not spring chickens here, okay? They're also they're also brothers. I'm, my, my initial thought on this one, Henry, was if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
And that was their thought after Gap Band 3 because they had some hits. So they just mm-hmm. fucking went back in the studio and said, let's do it all over again. And I, I don't know about you, Henry, but as a kid, I always got them confused with Cool and the Gang. So and they had, I find they had it a, better than both of those. I love this record. I thought it was great. I, I, I agree with them. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. This was, this was good stuff. Uh, I, I'm enthusiastic, maybe not as enthusiastic as you. They were shepherded by this guy named Lonnie Simmons, right? Who I think helped make them what they were. He, he's the, the one that came in on Gap Band 3 and started mm-hmm. helping making them what they were, right? So my impression with it is, is this is a party band. Right. It, and so in my mind, I'm thinking um, if you can take yourself out of the headphones, like if you if you can take the album out of the headphones and imagine yourself in a big room. Dancing, you know, rubbing up next to people. Right. Or you can with do that, that with your headphones on. Yeah, I with, do. The al- with the alcohol, with the alcohol flowing and with the face kicking you in the back and, and urging you forward and all of it. You follow what I'm saying? I'm about you, to get naked you and can, around the if room. If you can right put now. that in your mind, if you can imagine listeners doing that, then you'll you'll know why I'm enthusiastic about the album. I think it's the it, album when you look over at the guy sitting yeah. in the car going to work and he's bopping along. You're like, what's that guy listening to? It's probably the Gap Band. I just feel it's way too sexy to be listened to alone. That's my thing. <laughs> like, Henry, some of us only get sexy alone. <laughs> I am recommending Gap Band 4 for that project. So, uh, unlike Rick James, these guys are, like, are sweeter than him. That's the thing. Rick James seems too dirty to me. You feel, you feel okay about moving your hips. You don't feel like a fucking predator, right? Right. Then, you know, like, that's what I'm saying. They, something about the Gap Band gives you permission. And I, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but it's like wedding funk. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and Rick yeah. James is not wedding funk. Rick James is like yeah. post It's like it's like the message is like, hey, it's a party. Let's all party together. Rick James exactly. is, is like, I want to get you. You know, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> something illegal is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, something illegal is going to happen. I will. So this, so that's what accounts for these mixes that are really long. Like it. it to me, like some of the songs, if I didn't think of them as a party band, it wouldn't work because there's six, like this one, I don't know. I think this one probably stretches out to six minutes or something. Yeah, it does. But I, I but, again, I, I, I see where you're coming from because a lot of times party music, you, you never want it to end when you're dancing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if yeah. If you're in your car, you're like, okay, I like this, but this is six minutes long. But what really, this, the, I did not know this song. Early in the morning, I did not know. I've never heard it. You never I heard had, it in the morning? No, I don't know. Uh, but I had heard You Dropped a Bomb on Me. It's like, why have I not heard this song? You know, It was weird. But that's not even the best song on it. The best song on the record is the last track. Because I feel like that's the one where Lonnie Simmons says, hey, just do what you want. I feel like, oh, this is them. You know, they made their, 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 they made their very calculated you know, dance record. Now go be a funk band for us. You know, be a funk band. Drop, drop it, drop it as hard as you can. Right here. Well, unfortunately for the Gap Band, this is the end of the great times because Gap Band Five did not do as well. Yeah, I think they went to the well one too many times. But it is interesting, Henry, that you said 
I'm looking at the song links here. Uh, that last song, Talking Back, and the very first track, Early in the Morning, are the two longest at 6.42 and 6.30. There's only yeah. one song that you would quote-unquote call 80s radio 40, top 40 singles length, three minutes mm-hmm. and 18 seconds. There's only one of those on the album. So, and I don't think it was that, I don't think it was even a hit called Outstanding. But Early in the Morning, um, and You Dropped the Bomb on Me, you dropped the bomb. He's five minutes long, and it was a hit. So, but yeah, really, uh, really glad I got the chance to listen and uh, know about these guys. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm giving this one a thumbs up. I was real ignorant of uh, the Gap Man's music, but now I, I feel like, like uh, could be converted. Okay, so Henry, our last album, and by the way, the Gap Band Four was an all music four and a half star record. This last album was a Rolling Stone four star record at the time. It's also under the category of stuff we like. It's by a band called The Clash. The album is called Combat Rock. And the song we are going to play, I have to play it, is Rock the Casbah. Sandinista. That one was a that one was a load. Which is tough. We, we, you and I were we were we had a split decision on that one. You liked it. Uh, you disliked it. I liked it. I think Henry that uh, a combat combat rock is a direct reaction to Sandinista. I think they were all like, "Shit, we need to get back to being the Clash." Like, <laughs> yeah, I, they had still had a lot of material though. Yeah, and they did cut it down to one album. But did you see where they changed back to their original manager? Uh, they fired their manager and hired the original guy back and you know what they said the reason was he provided a ton of chaos yeah. i love how they were like that's why they probably fired him in the beginning and then they were like fuck it we need the chaos back <laughs> yeah we needed the chaos things should get a little too stale and predictable here right and um yeah. also there was some bad blood going on in the band at this time i believe this is the last album with the original lineup um altogether um yeah, t- uh, Topper Heaton was kicked out over drugs right after they quit, after they stopped this record. And also Mick Jones was uh, kicked out. And, you know, Mick Jones, right after that, that this is right after that is when he went and formed, um, oh gosh, Henry, I'm drawing a blank. 
Big Audio Dynamite. Thank you, Big Audio Dynamite. I am sad. It's sad of me to say this, but I knew him for that at when it came out as a kid, almost as much as anything but this song. Combat Rock was actually the first Clash record I heard. Me too. In the 90s, I bought this on vinyl listened to the first side and immediately bought London Calling after that. Which, which again, I, I love, I love, I'm going to say I like this record a lot, but I love London Calling. It's, a, I think it's yeah. a better record, but Henry, so, like, it's a really good record. It's, it is, but it's, I, I would divide it into halves, you know, like I would divide it into the very memorable first half and the, and the last half of just watching the marbles kind of, float away you know like i think maybe they ran out of good ideas that the hit like should i stay or should i go is the one song that uh uh topper heaton wrote him, him wrote and played himself you know? and i think Henry, it's interesting that you say it's a tale of two sides because they called down it was going to be a double album yeah so they yeah. called down a bunch of songs to get to this uh grouping i i disagree with you a little bit i think the second half to me is what sandinista should have been the second half sounds like them trying to do some different stuff and be loose because i think i think too henry the thing that we miss getting into the clash later in life is Mm -hmm. the clash were painted into a they were pigeonholed into this thing about punk rock early on and that what that meant you weren't allowed to play you weren't allowed to do different styles of music you weren't even supposed to be a good musician and sandinista and even i think parts of london calling was kind of like a fuck you we can play music we can play we can do whatever right. we want and i think they never lost that spirit so i think the second half of combat rock is still like we're not just we don't just have to do these you know, it's like I can. I, I'm with the band, like emotionally, all the way through. Overpowered by funk, and then they start to kind of lose me. That it, it just seems like things are starting to fritter away, or that the magic is starting to. The snow globe is starting to settle. I guess. What you can't deny is the first half, which is what's well, interesting too, Henry. That this album is kind of a concept album. Um, I don't know if you remember from the videos; they all kind of wore militarized gear. Yes, and yeah. Song kind of has. I a love that military thing, and a lot of it has to deal with the Vietnam War. Which, looking back, I was like, "Too, that's not really a thing." They, sh- you know, they're too young. But the 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 Vietnam War was a big thing when we were kids. Like it was still a big. Um, uh, what do I want to say? Mentally, uh, on our society, it was still hovering around, even though we were both way too young for it. But these guys, um, a lot of, a lot of the songs deal with people in the aftermath of PTSD and things like that. Imagine writing that song about playing rock and roll, uh, the Middle East or the Casbah or whatever, and uh, and then have the the Americans play rock the casbah to, to hike, hype up the troops for dropping bombs during the first Gulf war, or that he said that they even would paint rock the casbah on the fucking bomb when they dropped it, which is so, not, I mean, God, it's the most insulting shittiest thing that you could do. It, it goes right up there with the misusing born in the USA. Right, I was going to mention you know? that. Yeah. yeah like fucked up. to the lyrics. Well, fuck them, fuck them for doing that. But uh, but that's uh, that's a fine song and, a, and and it's a fine record. Um, 
I'm going to, uh, Henry, you're, you're going to give it a thumbs up. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You won't find me until another record to say thumbs down on the, on the clash. I, I hate to say it cause I don't want to do two in a row thumbs down on the clash, but I think I'm influenced so much by London calling being so much better than this. I'm just going to give it a qualified thumbs up. It's much better than Sandinista, but um, if I'm going to pull out a Clash record, I'm pulling out London Calling. Um, But let's find out. uh, It's at that time of the episode when we talk to Megan, so let's find out uh, what she's doing. I'm really yeah. bummed, and I think our viewers are going to be really bummed because this is going to be our first episode going up on YouTube to be viewed, and no one can see you. I know. Right. Well, I actually I saw that in the notes, and I was like, oh, well, I'll change that. But, yeah, that can easily be changed. I just didn't know. I'm sorry. You'll be a mystery. <laughs> Megan just moved into her first house. She just bought her first house, and so this is her first recording from that house, correct? Yes, I'm very excited. Where are you in the living room or are you and are you in the dark and do you have alcohol? I'm in the dining room. Uh, the lights are on, so progress. I do have a glass of wine. Excellent, excellent. So the mood is coming up. I think now that we bought a house, that's awesome. Well, and there are a lot of great albums too. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a pretty stacked a pretty stacked episode, I think. I think so too, and I'm curious to see uh, which one you guys think is the weakest. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, we'll I'll I'll point that out when I get to my pick. Um, let's start at where we started with the cure pornography. I actually give this one a thumbs down, and Henry gives it a thumbs up. What are your thoughts? Um, so I like it. It's a great cure record, um, but it is kind of. For me, I do like their happier stuff a little bit better. Like even Disintegration, I feel like is a little bit more upbeat. Like pornography is a little too like moody for me. Yeah, we talked about Disintegration was my, basically my introduction to The Cure. Which is a great introduction. So it was like Disintegration and then uh, Pornography was like the raw or other stuff Mm -hmm. when I first was getting into The Cure, you know. And yeah, and, I know that there's a lot of diehard fans of this album in particular. Yeah. Like, I feel like it has a very um, lauded or whatever reputation amongst Cure fans, taken mm. very seriously. I agree. I think I think you could say it started goth music and it's like revered. So I get it, but it's just too much for me. What did you think of the album I I disliked the most? Thirty Eight Specials, Special Forces. So that was my suspicion um, as far as the one that you would pick as the weakest. Um, Henry, I'm not 100% sure yet. You're a little bit of the wild card, I guess. As, as uh, usual. Yes. I gave this a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. There are a couple of good 38 special songs. They're catchy. I know. I, I love how you have I, everybody that likes 38 special songs has to qualify it. It's almost like you, you're... <laughs> well okay at first i thought you were gonna say people who like 38 special and i was like 
do not lump me into that category, which totally just proved what you're going to say. Like people who <laughs> say anything good about it, they have to be like, but I'm not a fan. Whatever. You like Cody Yates, especially like I do. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's like fun, stupid music. <laughs> That's a great and there's nothing wrong with that. Especially yeah, after yeah. listening to pornography. Lighten up a go. little bit. Definitely opposite of pornography. That's oh my god, yeah, yeah, opposite ends of the spectrum in every way. For sure. Mm-hmm. What did you think of um, Roxy Music Avalon? Henry and I both uh, were thumbs up on this one. I was gonna say, if anybody thumbs down that record, <laughs> we we can't talk anymore because this album. Like, I like a lot of Roxy Music albums. Like, I'm definitely a fan. So. I'm heavily biased, but like this album's like perfect. It's so atmospheric. Like mm-hmm. I just think it's like Roxy music at their best. Yeah, it was interesting. I was very interested in what you were going to say about this one because I think when I was younger, I had an aversion to it because I liked early Roxy music because they were much more wild and like they're weird. And weird. Mm-hmm. And, like, and then this was so controlled. And when I was a kid, I was they seemed old to me when I was a kid. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. They got suave. So good now. Like yeah, they now. make me want to have a like put a suit on and, and have tea, you know. Well, and like, when I saw uh, Brian Ferry last year when concerts were still a thing, um, he was like wearing the suit and like very dapper and like there was like a full band, like it was all very like mm-hmm. put together. And um, what did you think of the Gap Band? Henry and I both liked. I like the Gap Band a lot. Like they're like I don't know a ton of their music. I'm sure that they probably like watch. They're one of those groups. They have like 12 albums, mm-hmm. and like I just didn't really like. You don't know that they were as big as they were. Well, <laughs> Maybe that's not the case. This uh, Gap Band Four was their sixth album. <laughs> yeah, See, it was. yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like you know they had like a lot of success, but like. Somehow, I mean, I think it's because maybe they were a little more attached to disco. And as like yeah. the 80s went along, people totally didn't want to be connected to disco as much, maybe. Um, what did you think of the final record, Combat Rock by The Clash? Henry gave it a thumbs up and I gave it a thumbs down. You turd. <laughs> Why would you do that? That's I, insulting. I um, this was actually like... Uh, the first Clash album that I heard, of course, was London Calling, just because, like, I mean, that's, like, punk 101, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, but this was the first Clash record that I remember really listening to fully, because when I was, like, 14 or 15, that's when I got my first record player, and this was one of the first records that I got. So I really developed a love for this record. Like, I really enjoy it. It's kind of weird. Um, and really, honestly, in some ways, I kind of prefer it over London Calling. Like, London Calling is great, obviously. But I don't know. I kind of like some of the weirder Clash stuff. Even Sandinista, which we talked about yeah. um, last yeah. year. Like, I know that album was a behemoth, which a lot of people didn't like because they're like, oh, cut it down a little bit. But I don't know. I think it's cool that they experimented a little bit. I'm going to make a point of every episode. Megan, what is your pick of the episode? We've never really... I honed in on that. What's your favorite? This episode, it's actually really hard because there are four good records, basically, to choose from because I'm not going to be so bold as to say that the 38 special record is good in its entirety. I'm not giving it a thumbs down, but I'm not exactly giving it an enthusiastic thumbs up. I would say I have to pick Avalon. 
just because it's so good. I mean, this I think it's absolutely timeless. Avalon's going to get three for three as the record of the of the month. Um, That's fair. We all we all really like it, but um, okay. So there you have it. There's Megan's pick for the month. Uh, Megan, I'm saving all the plugs and the wrap ups for you now. We're not going to do that. We're going to let you do all of that stuff. Okay, that's fine, and um, I'll definitely make sure I have video next time too, so Excellent. we can all see each other. Cool. But if you want to follow the podcast, it's um, at eighties exposed on Twitter, at eighties three seven four on Instagram, eighties music exposed on uh, Facebook, and then on YouTube. Is it just do you search eighties music exposed then or? Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know fully how that's going to work. I'm going to get the channel URL and make sure that it's on the notes to the podcast so that people can find it. Cool. Well, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, if you want to follow my personal social media accounts, um, it's at Bastards of Young ninety two on Instagram. But yep. So I mean, I'm looking forward to talking our next record. I, I know we have a um, isn't Nebraska coming up soon. That's right. We have a single album episode coming up soon. And it is, I believe the next one is Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's a really like, I mean, it's very well known, especially amongst like Bruce Springsteen fans, but I think it's just such a good record. And in the eighties, it just gets overshadowed because of like born in the USA and stuff. But I'm looking forward to talking about it. I agree. We have to, we have to get through June of 82 and then we'll get to Nebraska. Excellent. So by then, Megan will definitely be able to join us and she'll join us the whole episode. So we'll get to see her the whole episode. So that's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll get to see the new house. So um, congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. It's a lot of work and that work is never going to end now, which is fine, but it's worth it. I really love my house. I have my own little library, which I think is pretty cool. Awesome. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you so much. All right. Well, well it's ca- nice talking to you guys. Same yep. here. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah. Bye. Well, see you next time. See ya. Goodbye. So yeah, I mean, this is a this is a Avalon is going to make a clean sweep here. Yeah, I don't. I don't see any way around it. I was trying. There's to- no way around it. I was. I, I, okay, of the two of us, I think I am more wired into the kids than you are. Hmm. I think I have my pulse on what the kids like. Maybe because I don't have any, and you do. Well, I was. I didn't mean to go there. No, I, <laughs> oh. I, 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 I mean, I, I feel. I, I don't. I don't feel like any association to them because I'm never around them. Like when you said we're going to be on YouTube. Kind of trying to be funny. I don't really know how to do anything on YouTube, but look at 80s music videos. So <laughs> I'm going to have to get the, the the boss here to tell me how to do, how do I get our, our video from a live stream to published? Yeah. Figure it out, Bijou. But I will, I will give you credit that uh, you and Megan, uh, your tastes line up a lot more than uh, mine. A little bit. I will. Th- I do find this funny though, Henry, and that you may think of this. Um, we we consider Megan to be a youngster, and I think she's in her thirties, right? So, isn't that sad? Tell <laughs> us where we're at. But we thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, this is our first video one. Um, it yeah, yeah. In it, and uh, we're going to work that out and try to streamline it as we go along. But hopefully, uh, we added some new folks, and you'll stick with us 
um, as we go forward into 1982. Right. Listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and hopefully now YouTube. Please share it with your friends. iTunes as well, right? iTunes as well or Apple Podcasts, right? Um, I don't know. Did we mention your Twitter handle, Chris? No, oh, it is uh, at TCI Duke, and yours, I believe, is at Hank G E E. Hank G. Yeah, yeah, H A N K G E E. It's uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you next time, Chris. Guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. <laughs>